How I Got Here, the inside stories of startups and innovation in travel and transportation with your hosts, FocusWire's Kevin May and Mozio's David Litwack. Hello and welcome to How I Got Here, Mozu and FocusWire's podcast about innovators in travel and transportation. Today we're joined by Rolf Schomgrens. Rolf is the co-founder and former CEO of Travago, a German hotel meta-search company he founded with his three co-founders in 2005. Prior to joining Travago, Mr. Schomgrens was founder and VP at Chow, a consumer review website from 1999 to 2001. Thank you for joining us, Rolf. Um, thanks a lot for, um, for giving me the opportunity to be here with you. So we like to start off every one of these the same way, as you know, uh, to ask you how you got here. Yeah, so I'm, I'm a business major. Um, my parents run a restaurant. Um, that was the only way to convince them to study. Uh, so I, I, I went for, for business administration. Uh, got to know um, uh, my co-founders of my first company. Uh, started my first company in this big, uh, first big um, uh, technology uh, internet uh, wave in the 1990s, 2000. Um, did it in the very classical way. We raised a lot of money very early. After like half a year, we raised 20 million euro or something like that. What happened was that uh, after a very short time, I didn't own a lot of the company anymore. We were a large founding team and we diluted with every single investor. Um, and more or less investors were running the company, not me anymore. Um, so I left actually, um, more or less gave away my shares, didn't sell them. Um, then I thought, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm such an amazing guy. I can do whatever I want and I will be, will be successful. Uh, and I couldn't be more wrong. So I um, started my first venture, um, um, did not work out. Um, I started, so the next one, uh, I started uh, to my PhD thesis, which I never finished. Um, at the end, I uh, took over the restaurant of my dad. Uh, he threw me out. Uh, and basically in 2005, I was more or less uh, broke. Uh, I didn't know what to do. Uh, and, and that was basically when I, I came up with the initial idea of Trivago, uh, brought uh, my, my friends from, from my adventures before on board, uh, Peter and Stefan. Uh, we, we, we started uh, Stefan, um, unfortunately, left after two years to become a professor. Today, he's a dean of, I think, the most uh, famous business school in Germany. Um, and, um, and uh, yeah, and, and instead, of, instead of Stefan, Malte came on board. So it was Malte, Peter, and me. Um, we had a tough time uh, because um, instead of doing what, I, what we did with our first company, uh, with Trivago, we did uh, it completely bootstrapped. So we um, started to um, to learn coding. Uh, so I'm not an, a, tech, an, a programmer, I'm not a developer, but I learned coding. And with together with Peter, we basically, for the first years, we coded uh, Trivago completely ourselves. In between, we took up some money, but, but never... Um, a lot so but I think in total we used like 700,000 euros so and I think that is defined a lot of the character of Trivago which was always extremely um, number-based um, we, we, we never had money to waste so we were always growing the company out of cash flow um, so I think that basically was grew our competency in performance marketing and brand marketing and so on the way how we did it and I think it's also one of the things that made us successful that we were 
very much independent from capital. So we could uh, basically able to grow the, um, the company without any external influences. We also didn't ask for it. We were not very focused on external PR. We didn't look a lot around, around us. We were basically growing the company from the inside out. And, um, and yeah, and, and, and uh, we're able to experiment a lot. I think, I think that we had a quite unique culture, a kind of unique way how we thought about leadership and how we thought about organizations. And I would say if you would ask me today, I would think that was basically the, our biggest advantage. So we were never good in what we did, but we were always becoming better very quickly. That's how we grew the company from Germany uh, into, into, into Spain, all across Europe, into the US. Yeah, we're, we're bringing the company IPO in 2016. Medium success, I think, with the, with the IPO. Um, then uh, we had a very good uh, first half year um, and, uh, and then the circumstances around us changed. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, uh, I left the company in 2019. I think I prepared it for quite a while step. We, we, we reduced the, number, uh, the, the team members that were still founders over like a time frame of five years. So I brought new people on board uh, and handed over um, in 2019 to, to my new CEO. Today I'm uh, still in the board but uh, but not operational anymore and um yeah and today i'm uh, still extremely interested in the topic of leadership and organizations trying to currently build up a non-profit organization which uh, tries to promote a lot of the ideas that we were able to develop uh, within trivago over the last 10 years that was great thanks ever so much rolf um i'm interested it, it was sounding very negative at the beginning there you were talking about your first your first business and you diluted so much to your investors and by the time you came to launch Travago, you said you almost broke and sounded quite downbeat as i say what would you say you learned the most from that first experience that you applied to how you founded Travago? So I think different kinds of experience. I think for my first venture from Chow.com, I think the first thing I learned, I think it was not a great idea to found a technology company and have no idea about technology. So I think, <laughs> I think, I think it's a, I, I think it's at least a good start if you know about tech when you start a tech company. Yeah. Um, I was 23 years old, uh, directly from university. I'm, I, I did some base, uh, visual basic programming when I was, uh, when I was, I don't know, 18 or so. But but that's about it, yeah. And um, and so so so, uh, and of course, what happens is that you you lose control, especially about the tech side, pretty soon. So that's something I learned. Um, I um, I, I learned never let investors take control, like mm-hmm. like not never let people take control of, um, of your company who are too far outside of your business. Um, and um, and that's what what we did with Trivago for at least for a very long time. And, um, and yeah, and I think then, um, I, I, think in, in, I think in between what I learned with the other ventures that did not go so well or with my PhD or whatsoever, I think, I think I was definitely overestimating myself. Uh, so okay. I, I was overestimating my own, my own competency and, and my own ability to pull something off. And, um, and I think that was a reality check. I think that, that, that became important later on. And how did you modify either that part of your personality and skill set for when you did found 
Trivago, was it the types of co-founders that you had come along with you? I mean, Malti and the others, I know some had been with you before, but how did you rectify your own failings for want of a better word? Yeah, I think, I think I'm, I mentioned it. Um, so, so first of all, um, I think when we started Trivago, it was really more about how we want to do it. So how, mm-hmm. how we want to run the company it was really not so much about what we're doing. Yeah. So I, I'm, um, I mean, it's not that, that this whole industry is, is, is not close to me. So my, my dad was basically for, um, for a very long time, he was part of this um, hospitality, how do you say, organization, like the local hospitality organization, right? So, sure. so it's, not, it's not that this, this was super far away from me, but, but let's, I, I mean, to be, to be frank, it's not that I had an enormous passion for the industry. You know, it's, 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 you know it, it, that's not true. That would just not be true. Um, but, but what we had was we had an enormous passion of how we want to run this company. Um, and and we w- wanted to keep control about how we run this company for a very long time. So I, and 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 if you if you decide that you cannot go into the first financing round and 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 basically say okay we built a model which is built up on on financing and after a while we basically uh, a short while we lose control of the company you cannot build a company like that so and that so that comes with a lot of that comes with a lot of um, conditions on 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 how on 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 what you do, how you do financing. Uh, like like you have to learn coding. You have to code yourself because you don't want to 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 start with your first financing round and and already lose twenty percent of the company. We did not have any money, right? I mean, right. I was really, as I said, I was broke to start Trivago for the first, I think, one and a half years or so. We didn't pay us anything. So I really was going to everybody around me. I was asking my, my parents for money. I was asking my, my, uh, my girlfriend for money and their parents. So, so I think that, that was the way of how we started it. And it was really, really painful. Um, but we did not want to raise money so early in the process uh, to lose control. Yeah. And, and, we, and we also take, we took the decision and we, we a couple of times were the, took the decision to say, no, we rather keep this small keep this a small business than, 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 than losing control. I, I remember that I was, I mean, we were struggling already for two or three years and it was not really taking off, you know? I mean, even 2018, you rarely heard something about us, right? Internationally, definitely not even in Germany. And, and I, I talked to, and, and I think we paid ourselves 2,000 euro, um, 2000 euro, yeah, 2000 euro uh, a month. And I was talking to my um, to my best friend, and he asked me, "Is this really something that you want to keep on doing? You know, what happens if you pay yourself these two thousand euro for for the rest of your life, right? And that's it, you know." And I said, "You know, that's fine. You know, I I do what I want to do. I can run the company in a way that I really want to run it, and it's fine. And I really meant it, yeah. you know. And I really meant it. And and I think that was always the philosophy that 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 we had." And, and at the end, we still grew massively, but but it was still driven out, out of this core belief. You know? So like even even in 2018, 19, 20, like with every single, uh, um, sorry, not eight, um, 18, eight, nine, 10, sorry. <laughs> um, 
every single person that I hired, I was thinking, so if everything goes wrong, you know, can I still afford this person? You know, can I still, can I still really like, 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 yeah. like pay this person's salary? You know, and that might sound weird, but it's really true, you know. T tell me, um, changing subject a little bit, I remember meeting um, Melty at ITB Berlin. Um, I think it was probably 2006, 2007. It was really early on. And there was, there was, there was Melty and there was someone from the PR side. And I went into that meeting initially thinking it was a, a review website, like a hotel review trip advisor type thing. And then, you know, it later emerged that actually, no, it's just pure meta search. And I wondered if there was perhaps not an issue, but whether the positioning of what Travago was in those really, really early days was perhaps confusing to consumers or even mm. to the industry. Yeah. Would that be fair? Yes, totally fair. Of course, <laughs> totally, <laughs> totally fair. So it was uh, completely confusing to even to us. Yeah, um, <laughs> I think I think though it was even later. I think it was rather two thousand eight or so. Um, but because we didn't definitely didn't have PR people. I think Malta was not there. ITB two thousand six six and um, and uh, two thousand seven. We definitely didn't have a PR person. Right. So um, so it might be two thousand eighteen, uh, eighty eight. Sorry. And but uh, no no it's totally fair to say that actually um, so so we started uh, you know we started Trivago with a very different idea so our our initial idea was rather uh, a kind of co commercialized Wikipedia for travel so we had this mm -hmm. idea that you would basically build up content through a community and um, and then we always thought okay yeah something like Wikipedia for travel that would make sense but. Why could you not commercialize it and then basically let the community participate in whatever money you would make? So that that was the first initial idea, and um, yeah, and that that really did not take off so well. And and um, and on the so so I th I think it's really it's a really weird story actually. So so we we were we were building up this community and we were building up all this content about places and you know uh, spots to go like in paris and so on and and then um and then uh i i remember that we had a lot of display advertising so it must have been 2006 2007 still so because nobody really was interested in performance right so you yeah. were having this display advertising on your website and you could take like uh, cpms of 20 euro 40 euro 60 euro depending on what kind of format it was so it's completely insane because nobody was looking at performance. And then, and then people came to us and said, um, you know, guys, uh, we, we, we checked now for the first time and, and uh, basically, uh, I don't know, we gave you 2,000 euro last month and we got one booking from you. That, that doesn't work for us, you know? And, um, and, and, and that was really like, okay, we, we, from one woman to a moment to another, we kind of lost a lot of our business basically there. And... Um, and and we but we went back to people and said hey hey guys you know I mean this doesn't make any sense because basically you know we have here an article about Paris I don't know the Louvre or whatsoever and then and then you you basically you show your display advertising and you you uh, I don't know you you promote a trip to the Caribbean 
and and then I go to your homepage, and the only thing that I see is a short trip to London. So how should ever somebody convert from the Louvre, you know, uh, to a hotel close to the Louvre? Can you not just put basically all these, you know, next to the Louvre? Could you not put ads basically for hotels close to the Louvre? Right, that must be easy, right? So we went to Booking and. Expedia and so on. So we went to these companies and what, what you have to, and that was 2006. So this was quite early for them. And, 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 and Expedia didn't even have control about their technology, right? So they basically were, uh, were, 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 you know, getting the inventory from a different source and booking.com, very similar. So, so we asked them to do that and they said, no, no, we cannot do that. That's insane. You know, that's completely insane. How, how should that work? And, and, and so what we did in that moment was that we said, okay, if you cannot make it work, we can. So we, we, we basically created bots which were kind of emulating user behavior. I, I still know how they work because I, I, I programmed them myself. I developed them myself. And they had to you do, jump through all these loops basically to, basic, to, to make, make Expedia think that this, this is a human user, right? Right now um, I'm going to the website. And um, and and we got basically their 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 um, their, um, their results, and and this gave us a chance to to uh, place ads, you know, next to the article about the Louvre with hotels close to the Louvre, and we did that, and we did that with one and two and three advertisers, and um, and at the end, basically, uh, we we came up with the same hotels all over again, you know, slightly different names. But even worse, you know, with to totally different prices, and, and that's what's really happening, right? So we we were putting these ads there, and they were having different prices, and we said, okay, this looks like crap, you know, because it's it's basically like the same hotel name all over the place with different prices. You know, what should people think? And um, and then basically that was this the moment when we when we said, okay, let's put all these hotels in one database so that we just show the hotel name once and all the prices underneath, right? And, and that was the birth of the hotel search. There was never the idea to create a hotel search. You know, that was, yeah. it, was just an, it was just an evolution. It was a mistake, you know. And, and, um, and for, for, for two more years or so, we still thought that people are using us because of the nice articles about the Louvre, which at the end we found out they didn't. They, they, they just use us as a, as, a, as a meta search, right? So for all these two years, and this is probably the time when you said, okay, this, this was completely for people confusing. For, for all these years, you basically did, was, were all over the place. So because we, we, our original com community didn't really work out, right? Yeah. Uh, so we, we went into, we, we came up with this idea of this hotel ads, right? We came up with, with um, uh, we, we started to, <clears throat> to do flight search. Uh, we started um, to sell our software, um, to um, to, uh, to, to uh, travel agencies like local travel agencies that would, would use the software. Um, we we did we we did white labels and so on and so on. So we went all over the place just to get revenue from somewhere because we're so we're so desperate to get our revenue back, right? And um, and I think that was really and and I think that was 2018, I think or so when we really first, first time really defined for us our mission statement and we, we would have said, okay, either we focus now, right? And we, we find something that we can really scale or we will be dead, yeah. right? 
And I think that was a very important point in the history of Trivago when we really focused and, and said, okay, and, and we're honest to ourselves that basically the, the technology part, the part of, okay, we write those bots, we, we aggregate these prices and so on, that this is our business way more than the community. I'm, I'm glad I remembered that correctly now. So great, uh, David. It's a fascinating story and uh, yet another example of uh, the travel inspiration <laughs> startup that didn't work and ended up uh, doing something uh, much more concrete, actually. Um, so uh, it tends to be a, a pattern we recognize a lot. Um, you know, it's funny, at the beginning, rewinding a little bit, when uh, um, you mentioned about how you guys are really dedicated to not giving up uh, control to investors, it, like I, I, a saying uh, that um, people... I think throw around a lot around like, you know, uh, work to live, not live to work almost kind of right. Like, and it almost it felt like you were constructing Travago almost like a, and forgive me for saying it's a lifestyle business almost uh, to start. Uh, is this, would it be a correct assumption, uh, a correct characterization to say you guys built, built it so it could be a lifestyle business and it happened to be a, a billion dollar business. Uh, would you think that's correct? Mm, no. No, no, I don't think I don't think that would 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 uh, would characterize it. I think we always. So I'm I'm really driven by productivity, and I hate if something is not productive. Uh, and I felt that the 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 kind of like like impact that I felt from investors was not productive at all, um, because it was basically. Um, it, it, it was it was so 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 i believe in long term value value generation and i believe into the creation of systems so i really think that to create long term value it's not so much about a single idea it's not so about about the strategy it's not so much about do you go first in this country or that country or so i, I don't think that this is really at the end creating the value so what i think is creating the value is the overall system it's a way of how people work together and how they take decisions, in, in, but not the important, not the seemingly important decision or strategy, but like how do they take decisions on an everyday level? So how does somebody who's taking care of the SEM account for Hungary, so how does he take or she take decisions, right? So that's important, way more than the decisions that I take as a CEO. And, and I think that was a strong belief, you know, and, and that's something I wanted to secure. I wanted to secure that we can be productive with what we do. So, so it was not that it was not so much like, ah, okay, we just do this business at the side or so. No, I mean, we, we were really, I mean, I was broke. I didn't have any financial freedom at all. Of course we wanted this business to be very successful, you know, but just, but just we did not want to compromise on the idea of creating the best um, operating system for it. I see. And it seems like that's a passion that drives you outside. So I, I feel like I should have uh, phrased that differently. I, I get what you're saying now. Um, like, it sounds like you have a passion other than you said yourself, you weren't like super passionate about the industry itself. It seems like your passion as a person is this engine. Like, how do you refine the engine that a company is? And it could have been building, you know, widgets or websites. It didn't, it, it, like that, what was more interesting to you, if I, am I saying this correctly, was how to optimize this engine. Is that correct? Yeah, I think that's pretty much correct. And I think it's also something that, that we had in common with with other very successful, even way more successful tech companies, um, travel tech companies than us, right? 
I mean, we we when I when I look, for example, at Booking.com or so, I think it's about the way it's about the operating system a lot. I would say less about the strategy, less about a unique product or whatsoever. It's a, it's a lot about their 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 operating system, and and I'm yeah, I I, I really I'm really a big fan of what they did. You know, I'm I think I think it's 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 amazing, especially especially uh, the, the the early founders. Um, I think they created an amazing culture in this company yeah, that that made them so successful, and and it was a lot about the operating system. I think. Yeah, um, no, I think that's that's very true. I mean, I think you there's tons of books about like Google and twenty percent time and all these different hacks that people uh, you know, various iconic companies have used over the years, uh, and sometimes they get you know sometimes they are just hacks, and the, the things that get the press aren't uh, are the things that don't maybe don't deserve it. But um, I think that uh, it's a good point for our listeners to kind of, I think, uh, kind of focus on is I think very often we do get uh, a little bit more interested on this podcast with the kind of the, the stories of how the founders met and maybe the strategy for how the company was built without thinking about the strategy for how to build the company itself, um, like the people in the company. So um uh, so I, before I move on to another question, actually, you touched on the, on the fact that you're kind of thinking of a nonprofit right now, how to standardize some of the stuff. Uh, was there a, a big overarching learning or that you got from Trivago about how to how to create uh, the company engine that you were trying to now put out into the world through this kind of nonprofit? So, so, so the way of how I look at a company is basically how do you create the perfect information processing machine so i think the 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 success of a company is majorly driven by that so how do you create a perfect information processing machine um because i think that we we live in a world where really like of constantly uh speeding up exponential change more or less and and i think in a world that is constantly accelerating i think the import, most important thing for an organization is how fast can it learn now and 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 basically i think when you want to create a successful organization i think you should everything else is second so the most important thing is just the speed of learning so how can you learn faster than others and 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 i think that is something that i really try to do or we really try to do at Trivago to create a company which is just faster in learning than others. And um, and I'm, I'm uh, you know, we have not be 100% succeeding with that, but I think I think it was definitely um, something that I took away that this is that this is the most important thing. And this comes with a lot of implications, in my opinion. Comes a lot of implications in how you shape culture um, that you rather should focus on values and on rules, for example, because rules are way too slow to solve a problem. Um, that you, it's, it's rather about creating faster learning loops than creating success. You know, I mean, um, I, I think that's, that's, that's super, super important. And, um, and when you're looking at now, I mean, I don't know, I'm, I'm very fascinated by, um, what Elon Musk is doing with SpaceX, for example, right now, and with the new um, Starship and so on production, and and how fast he is able, basically, to put out one Starship after the other, after the other, uh, basically what he did already with the Falcons before. And they, you know, 
they they come back, they explode, and the next starship gets out, it comes back and explodes. And and see see and and, and there are still people laughing, you know, and I think it's so fun that's so funny, you know. If, if I, 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 I I cannot understand why people cannot understand what's happening there, you know, for me. Because this is learning, this is learning loops, this is gathering information, this is building a lot of headroom between you and the, everybody else who could, could compete with you. Every time this, this, this rocket explodes, you know, and, and I think that is something that, that I really learned a lot from, from, from Trivago. That's interesting. There's um, an American general, uh, a general Stanley McChrystal, who now is a consulting group called the McChrystal Group, excuse me. Um, and I was at a kind of uh, little sit down with him at 1.45 uh, years ago. And he was talking about the time when the Iraq war turned around was they used to do raids on some terrorist cell and they do a, um, a, a raid at 9pm. And they would take 24 hours to process the information. And then, then when they figured out who the conspirators were with uh, the person who the, whose house they just raided, they would go do another raid the next uh, next day. But by the next day at 9pm, those terrorists had already gotten the word that, they, that their buddy had been raided and they were long gone. And he told me that um, the, you know, when the, the tide of the war turned was when they did a raid at nine, processed the information, did another raid at 12, processed information again, and did another raid at two or three in the morning. And they increased the, the cadence of learning. It's kind of, he phrased it in a very similar way to you. Um, they increased the cadence of learning to the extent where like the, the com competitors just couldn't, you know, in this case, literally Darius, um, couldn't, uh, you know, uh, keep up. So I, I love that that way of thinking about things. And it's also something I've, I've mentioned to startup founders where often they'll go and they'll say, well, we're stealth, we're stealth. We're, you know, we can't tell anyone what we're doing. And my, my, I roll my eyes at that because I'm like, you don't understand that like uh, when I'm starting a new company, <laughs> I like, like I want as much information as possible so I can move faster. And in fact, if telling you what I'm doing gets me more information and I can move faster, I will win. Like if me not telling you what I'm doing means I'm operating with a, a, you know, a quarter of a fraction of the information that I need, you know, all of a sudden, like I'm at a severe disadvantage. So I've always been extremely public about the things I'm working on. And like with under the assumption of exactly what you said, I'm just going to learn faster than the other guy. I couldn't agree more. You know, I think, I think the people who still believe in stealth mode, I think they're still stuck to kind of a, uh, the, the old world, you know, like where it was about competitive advantages and where you could secure them and where it was like, I, I would say the resource, resource view of this world, right? So where basically you, you had these specific resources and you had to own them so that somebody, somebody else would not own them. So, you know, and, and I think that is, that's the idea of those people. And, and I think today it's not possible anyway. So about today, it's not about the resource. It's even not about the information or the network or the knowledge you create on, create on top. Today, I think the competitive advantage is how fast are you able to change it and how fast are you able to learn, right? And, and, and somebody else who's not stealth about what they do, they are just way faster to learn about their stuff, right? And, 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 and the same is true. I mean, I see, I see today, today, I lately heard from a, from, from a project where they for four or five years, they were developing a product without any user interaction, like putting millions and millions into it because they were afraid that somebody else could take this idea, you know? And I think that's insane. You know, it's just insane. You know, like I would, like I would say, they watch the social network one too many times and think everyone <laughs> is out to steal your idea. And I was just like, dude. <laughs> 
yeah it's really it's really it's really crazy you know because it's not a, 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 it's not the ideas anymore and i think that's also that people people overestimate the idea so i think that you know i mean i mean even like the social network i mean the, the initial idea um about uh, of facebook i think was a you know there was a website in germany in that time it was was called hot or not you know i'm not sure if if that was an international one or so but yeah but it was could, actually done by a berkeley grad uh, and i went to berkeley so he's like 10 years uh, old me, but yeah it's popular okay but, but it was around way before facebook right and basically the initial facebook was ba was basically a hot or not you know just with real names probably yeah so so and 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 so so the initial idea of facebook was not amazing you know it was the execution it was like how fast they learned how fast they added new things you know i mean i mean you know i mean twitter had the timeline way before before facebook had it right uh snap had the had the had the stories way before insta had it right so so i think it's a question like do you build a culture that's just super super quick and adapting and understanding you know what works what doesn't work how can you evolve and um and not so much it's it's about the culture of, of facebook way more than it's about the ideas I think it's also a culture of humility too, because I think something I've recognized, like I'm very proud of some of the things I've done, but I, I, I will look back at some of my more, you know, quote unquote, brilliant ideas. And I think they're all derivative. They're driven from someone else's feedback at some point. And I think if you recognize that you're not as brilliant as you think you are, you, you rec and you recognize that most of your good ideas have actually originated in someone else's offhand comment that they made or feedback on your pitch deck or something like that. Um, I think you realize that like none of us are that brilliant. You kind of need, you know, that external feedback. Um, and um, yeah, it's been, it's, it's a very humbling experience to kind of come to that conclusion. Yeah, and I think I think we need those leaders. I think we need the humble leaders. I think that's also one of my major conclusions. Um, we need we need leaders who are able to take themselves back, not overestimate their own impact, basically. You know, like overestimate their own decision power and what they what they do, but but really realize that they're all part of a bigger system, and that it's way more complex than they think. I think we have a tendency to oversimplify uh, in strategy. You know, we 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 boil things down to something. Um, meaningless at the end, and um, and I think that's important. And the moment where where leaders understand that they are way less important than they they are, you know, I think they are they are important as a system creator, you know, but often they derive their importance from the decision and not from the, from the from the system they create, you know. And I think that's 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 a mistake. That's an interesting. Yeah, that's that's interesting because some might argue that startup culture often creates. CEOs and leaders that have enormous egos and don't understand how to be humble. Would that be fair? Yeah, I think I think it's a stage question for me. So I think that in an early stage of a company, I think the company is growing through and, and getting through these initial hurdles through the confidence of its founders or through the naivety of their founders. You know, so I think definitely that's true. So for the through the initial hurdles, it's, it's definitely good good to have some of that to be extremely driven uh, to to you know either be egocentric or be be naive. But but one of this is 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 probably good to have. Um, and but but the the problem is and 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 that still works. I think for a while. I think when you have ten people, twenty people, thirty people, that still works. 
But I think you see also a lot of these leaders struggling in the moment where the organization gets more complex. And then you have extremely intelligent leaders who then make it to the next level. And they, they, they are great leaders for a company of 300 or whatsoever. But there's one point when, they, when, when the complexity gets so massive. And, 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 and then basically the, the focus on the ego that fires back. And I think that's also what we see. And, and I think then it's about understanding that you're not the greatest person, right? Then it's about hiring people that can deal or evolving even better, evolving people that can deal with the complexity or, or um, like, like, you know, rather empowering people underneath you. You know, I think that's, that's probably the, the, the best methodology, right? But, but I think, I think, I think it's, um, I think it's a, it's a, for me, it's a question of in which stage you are and how complex is the business right now. You, you mentioned Rolf um, five minutes or so ago about creating a culture of speed so that you can do things quickly, whether it's products, et cetera, et cetera. I, I, I wonder how you develop or that culture is maintained when after, I think, what was it 10 years of the business, you then get an enormous investment and Expedia takes a majority stake in Travago. Mm. How do you manage the culture of the company at that point? Because, you know, arguably Expedia may have had a very different culture to Travago. I think that was very interesting because um, at that point, nothing changed really. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and I think it's maybe the way of how the deal came together, you know, and how we positioned ourselves and how we uh, made expectations clear and how we also found a structure um, that could allow us to, 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 to be independent. But it's, it's really, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's not something that I told investors with the, with the, um, with the IPO, it's really true. So there is not a single decision that I did in, uh, while um, uh, Expedia was an investor into Trivago that I would have done differently that we as a team would have done differently or anybody in the company would have done differently. It's really true. So they, they were taking really a step back and, and we were, were also making clear that, that we don't want to have any interference. So for, I think for the first three years, I said, I, I told everybody in the company, you are not allowed, whatever happens, you're not allowed to take, get in contact with anybody from Expedia. And the moment somebody gets in contact from Expedia, with you in contact with Expedia, you have to forward it to me personally. You know, so, <laughs> so, so I think, I think for me, that was very important. <laughs> it was very important to keep the identity of Trivago uh, as pure as possible in that moment and, and, and not be slowed down by another larger company. And I think that was also a, a, a very successful uh, for a long time. Can and, I just, um, did, may I just interrupt yeah. a moment, please, Rolf? I have to ask, how many, how many uh, emails did you get forwarded to you? <laughs> I think in the beginning it were it were quite quite some. Uh, okay. Then it were then it became less and less. And I think then at the end it, the interference became stronger again. Okay. Yeah? Um, but but that was also a reason. I mean, we had the idea that through the IPO we would be closer to our identity. So, so, so I really believe that the identity of a company is super, super important and, and, and to know what you can do, what you can't do, 
to to know yourself, I think it's very important. And and that was really also the idea with the IPO. Yeah, um, I think what what we really underestimated is how the focus of, of or putting so much focus then on on uh, the external capital markets and so on how that would change the company. So I think that was that was rather having a bigger impact, I think than um, than all of what Expedia did. So they were they were very hands hands off and and they were also knowing that that I, I you know I think what they, they they I think they tried somehow to copy the the booking story so Priceline Booking Corporation um, and and that was also completely hands off right so for a very long time so 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 really like um, they, like um, Priceline was successful with booking because they took a step back and they were not interfering at all. And I think that Expedia kind of thought, okay, that's probably the way to deal with these European companies. Yeah. So, um, so no, they were very, very, they were taking themselves back, back a lot. Yeah. So two very quick questions as we come to the end of our time here, Rolf. Um, again, about culture. Um, I don't think any interview with anyone from Trivago really cannot mention the Trivago man and that incredible ad campaign from a few years ago. And I wonder if there is anything from the culture of Trivago within the cheekiness <laughs> of that campaign or whether that was just a very smart ad agency. No, we, the thing is we never had ad agencies. You know, we did everything ourselves all the time. Oh, excellent. Okay. You know, and, and you know, to, 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 I mean, the story behind that is that... Um, so 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 um, Tim, that's a guy who who plays the um, the Chicago guy. Uh, he was an actor here in, here in Berlin, so an American actor uh, who was uh, playing a role in a small soap uh, soap uh, opera here in, in Germany. And uh, a friend of mine who's who's also who's also the director of our commercials, and he's a he actually one of my best friends. He um, he found him in this bar. And asked him, "Hey, you know, do you want to uh, to basically um, do the voiceover for one of our spots?" So he did the voiceover of the spot. And then I approached I approached Frank and I said, "Frank, all of these all of these beautiful um, commercials that we do in Europe, they we tr we tested them all. None of them works in the U.S. Yeah, so." We don't, we don't get it. Why does none of these commercials that really are successful in Europe, why does none of them work in the US? You know, let's do something super easy. And basically I, I told Frank, let's do following. The way of how I approach people on a trade fair is, you know, when, you know the, the way of like you, you, you develop a strategy when you, when you talk to people at a trade fair. Yeah, so people pass by. And the, the way of how you do it is basically you ask them a question and say, uh, have you ever booked a hotel online? So you ask them a question where they usually said yes, say yes, right? So you have to always get yeses from them, right? So, and so I, I was always asking them, you know, have you ever booked a hotel online? Yes. Okay. Have you ever realized that there's so many prices for the exactly same room? And and so basically, I told Frank, can we please just do this? Please just do this. Just let a person explain it straight to the people what we do because nobody seems to get it let 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 them just explain it like this and he was he said Rolf, this is the most stupid idea i've ever heard i will not invest time into this but okay you told me to do so so i'll take this guy from the bar 
you know, that did the voiceover for our, our uh, previous spot. And I will just let him do it, right? But this will never work. So he put, he put this guy he met in this bar, he put, this in, he put him in front of, the, of, the, of, the, of the, uh, the green screen and let him do his show. Uh, and we did some animation after that. And then we aired the spot and this was so tremendously more successful than any other spot that we did before. And, and not only that this thing was successful, but, but also it was a, an amazing platform basically for us. Because the thing is that uh, because it was so easy, we could easily adapt it. So I'm not sure if you were aware, but we did, we did thousands of different variations of this. Correct, so, yeah. so basically we used this platform to create kind of a A-B testing for commercials, right, in the U.S. And so we improved our commercials step by step by step by step. And, um, and, and at the end, we, we stuck to that platform. And we, I mean, I think at the end, we even skipped Tim and we, we had another uh, you know, actor doing it, but that was not important anymore. So we established the, the platform basically. Yeah, but, um, but that's the reason. So, they, you know, so if there's something about Trivago in it, it's then basically our MVP idea of like just doing something super fast and just putting it out there and then we see how it works. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a, a wonderful example of, you know, advertising that money can't buy. I mean, yes, it was an advertising campaign, but when you get mainstream media talking about the star of an ad campaign, it just amplifies what you've already produced. I mean, it was a, it was a terrific campaign. Yeah, I mean, somehow, so, somehow it works. I mean, but, but at the end, it was really interesting that we really found out it was not so much really about Tim at the end, yeah. So, yeah. but, but, um, but it helped, of course. I mean, getting, getting that, that kind of, you know, talk about him, I think that definitely helped. Yeah. That's it, I'm afraid, Rolf. Um, there's probably about a dozen or other things that David and I could have asked you about, about the, the minutiae of pay-per-click advertising and things like that. But I actually think on reflection, we've got a much better interview, just kind of hearing the way you think and talk about culture and all those kind of things. So that was really great. So Rolf from uh, Trivago, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks a lot. It was great talking to you. Okay. Uh, you've been listening to another episode of uh, How I Got Here. That's uh, Mozio and Focuswise weekly podcast where we talk to the founders and innovators and entrepreneurs in travel, tourism and hospitality. If this is your first time to the show, you can subscribe in all the usual places. That's uh, Apple iTunes, uh, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, Alexa. Subscribe there. Give us a review. Give us a rating. We always like to hear what people have got to say. Uh, but that's it from us. Uh, thanks again to Rolf and behalf of David and I. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the How I Got Here podcast. We'll be back next week with more inside stories behind startups and innovation in travel and transportation. Check mozio.com slash move for a complete write-up of the highlights of every podcast with translations into five languages. And get your daily dose of news on the digital travel economy by subscribing to the newsletter at focuswire.com. See you next week. Thank you.